0: Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevere, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. All right, Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. I am Chris Waddell. We speak every week with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community. Today, we have Tyler Walker, who is a two-time silver medalist in the Paralympics, a four-time Paralympian. Also, am I getting this right? Three-time gold medalist at the X Games? Yep. Is that right, Tyler? So you've, you've done a wide variety of different things. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. It's great to have you from New Hampshire. When did you decide that you wanted to be a Paralympian?
1: Well, I mean, I, 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 I grew up in front of a ski area. I'm literally five minutes from Cannon Mountain um so that had a lot to do with it you know everyone goes and and skis in the winter um and you know it started with my dad building stuff in the garage various pieces of equipment and then heard about various adaptive programs at Loon Mountain and Waterville that got me introduced to more equipment um and that was just you know to learn the basics of skiing but actually um when I was maybe fourteen or so, um, I got to see um, um, a full-on adaptive race at Breckenridge, and I believe you were there. Um, and Would got to sense. see all you guys train and see what it looked like to go fast with this stuff. And um, that was kind of the moment where I was like, "I I need to do this. This looks so much fun! Like so much fun." One thing led to another, and that was it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot more to it, sure. But, um, you know, things kind of snowball. You stay interested and eventually if you don't have a, too many setbacks. You're, you you get there. So.
0: Right. And you started, I mean, you were saying that your father started building stuff in the garage. Some of that stuff was pretty, pretty creative. Uh, pretty interesting. I imagine a little scary, too, right? I mean, the first one was like cross-country skis mount, mounted onto a seat? Is that what it was? Yeah.
1: So no yeah, edges? No. Um, we, it was a, a plastic sled. Two, I, I think he took my sister's old cross-country skis and bolted them to the bottom and then had two metal levers with spikes on the end that you'd pull to dig into the snow and it would turn side to side. Um, and somehow we we allowed to take that up on the lift and ski down. And uh, I think initially I was terrified. I don't remember having a blast immediately. Um, just, uh, I, I th- I'm pretty sure I remember some meltdowns about the speed that you could generate. And uh, yeah, um, but you know, eventually when I learned how to control it, it was it was awesome.
0: Because it did sound. It sounds like the kind of thing that you'd be totally out of control.
1: Yeah, there wasn't a tremendous amount of control in that, Um, but uh, he then got a snowboard and uh, mounted like a plastic seat that he made to that. And um, that was, I would sit really close to the ground and lean side to side and drag a glove. And that gave me even more control. Um, So then I got to go on steeper hills and that was more fun and then Got to the point where it's more terrifying again, and then, um, you know, I got introduced to bi skiing and mono skiing, and that really opened up my ability to control that kind of energy and have fun with it. Um, so yeah, it it definitely started with a lot of terror, but it it got fun quick.
0: It started with terror, but you continued. Now I think we do have to explain just. Why Why did you need a monoski? Why did you need some kind of adaptive equipment?
1: Uh, right. So um, to the casual observer, I am a double amputee at the knee. Um, so I'm not skiing on two legs. Um, and a monoski and a bi ski are just various different pieces of equipment that allow you to ski in a sitting position using more or less the same technique you would to stand up. Um, kind of like strapping on a pair of prosthetic legs, more or less. So, but this was a
0: congenital thing for you, right? This was this was from birth that you had your well, your legs amputated at four years old. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So the the technical term for what I had was um, lumbar sacralogenesis. So um, I'm missing some pieces of my spine, which made my legs not develop properly. So they were just kind of hanging out with no muscle or use really. So when I was four, in an effort to make life a little easier, uh, they were amputated, and that made getting around really easy. I can jump around and on, on my hands no problem. Just using a wheelchair most of the time is easier. Um, so that's that, that that's kind of what's going
0: on. But that's a lot of what you did as a kid too, right? The jumping around on your on your hands, where you're—that—that's a lot of how you got around and got out in the in the woods and did a variety of different things, right?
1: Yeah, um, like I'd spend a lot of time skateboarding after school, or um, you know, trying to play soccer and not get kicked in the head, um, or just random adventures. You know, Can you
0: describe how you skateboard. <laughs>
1: Um, I sit. Can you describe how you skateboard? Yeah. Yeah. I sit directly on the, sk- on the skateboard and just on my butt. And um, I, you know, use my hands on both sides of me and push, you know, push down uh, just like you would with like one leg on the side and then um, lean side to side to turn. Um, and then if I want to jump over or off something, I can turn sideways, grab the board and do kind of an ollie. It's more like I just grabbed the board and jump, but it but it works. Um, so yeah, that's how I do that.
0: And so were you in the park? Is that where you were skateboarding in the park or is it just sort of on the street or where were you?
1: Mostly the street. There's not a lot of skate parks um, up where I live. So it was, it was just, you know, between school and like where my dad had his office. And so after school, we skateboard back and find parking lots and little steps or ramps or something we could use to have fun. So.
0: And so this idea of, of doing things, of finding a way, finding a solution, wasn't really, it wasn't foreign to you. I mean, like your father putting cross-country skis on a, on a sled wasn't really foreign. Like it sounded like you were up for the adventure. Is that right?
1: Right. Yeah. It, from day one, there was always this, uh, the idea of like, you know, um, I'm different and I have a lot of friends doing things that are a little bit more difficult than me and I need to figure a way out a way to do that. So I need to adapt something, whether it's equipment or technique or, uh, I don't know. Um, so that was just, just, that's the normal for me. So, um, uh, you know, e- even today I'm, I'm taking pieces of equipment that someone able-bodied would use for one purpose and repurposing it to allow me to travel usually with more efficiency in some context. Um, so skateboarding was, uh, was a great thing. Um, uh, or go on little hiking adventures, especially in like tight spaces where I could excel or... Um, yeah, something like that.
0: So it, it sounds like it is is the problem solving part the what intrigues you, or is it the necessity, or is it a combination of the two?
1: The problem solving is definitely intriguing. I really like it. Um, it, I think, I think ski racing was very fascinating to me because it is. It's a, it's a huge game of problem solving. You've got to figure out how to get from the top of the mountain to the bottom faster and more efficiently than everyone else, um, using the ability that you have and the equipment that you have. And, um, that is incredibly mentally challenging to do. Um, and you know, the environment's always changing. It's very dynamic. Um, it's very risky and you know, trying to crack that code. I, I loved it. I love that 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 mental exercise. Um, and then there's a um, there's also an element of like, there's this whole set of experiences that I want to have, but they're just more difficult because I don't have the legs. Um, so but I still want to experience them. So maybe it's not quite, like, I'm not going to hike, you know, 15 miles or anything or, um, you know, in one go. What do you mean by hiking? Like, uh, hiking on my hands without, without, I just on your my hands, head, for example. When I, when I say hiking, that's usually what I mean. Um, so not the help of any engine, um, usually not in a wheelchair because the trails are just, you, you can't push a chair there. Um, but using whatever other equipment will get me there. So really the goal is, you know, to still get to the top of the mountain, but figure out a way, another way to do it. And if it takes three times longer, it takes three times longer, but I can still do it. Um, And, you know, ski racing or skiing in general, it's super fun. It's really cool to go out there and go fast. Um, It just takes me different equipment.
0: was part of the motivation to do something that other people hadn't done, you know, to, to, to blaze a
1: new trail? There was an element to that. Um, initially, it was just trying to play catch up and, and get my technique to where you guys were already at. Um, but then, you know, adaptive ski racing is still relatively new um, compared to a lot of sports. So there, when I was developing, there was still a lot of room to explore new technology, new technique. Um, and I feel like I, I, during my time on the team, which was like 15 years, I had plenty of time to test a lot of that equipment and develop a lot of that technique that has since then been vastly improved upon by everyone else. So um, being able to do that and having, having some unknown out there and, having to figure it out was super fun. Um, and when you did, man, you were like seconds faster than everyone for maybe like a month or a year if you were lucky and then everyone would catch up and then you have to do it all over again. So um, that was super fun. I love that.
0: That's the nature of sport. Well, talking about some of the uh, some of the equipment, Chani said to say hi. She says, hi, Tyler and, and Stephanie Mazur-Baron. Uh, I said with Tyler, it was never I can't do as I can. He was he inspired so many, so uh, so definitely have some have some fans in the audience right now. Tyler, how did how did this work? So so you so you did a bunch of these things. You were hiking, you were you know you were skateboarding, and then and then you locked in on skiing, and not that you didn't continue to do those other things, but skiing became more of a primary focus. How did that how did that end up happening? Um, I mean, you told us about the Brackenridge when you decided that that might be where you're going to go to the Paralympics, but
1: when did, when did the plan start? I think, I think it started because it was, um, it was, it was an established thing that was recognized. Um, and there was a structure to it and there was, you know, a clear goal. Um, you know, at least for me, it was being the best in the world and, there was a clear path to figure that out, to do that, and um, it's it it's easier to latch onto something when 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 the route forward is 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 easy to figure out. Um, and uh, sorry, maybe repeat the question again, if you would. So, so when did it, when did it start? When did
0: you, when did the plan, you said you saw, you saw the, the U S team skiing in Breckenridge and you thought, oh, wow, that looks cool. Like that is something I definitely want to do. But when did you, when did you start putting, you know, going from, from beyond the idea of that's what I want to do to, this is how I'm going to get there. Did you have that kind of a concrete plan when you started or. Or was yeah. it like, this looks like uh, fun, I'm going to join a team?
1: I mean, it, it started with you know learning the basics of racing at local programs. Um, and then um, I, I was lucky enough to have the right people come into my life at the right time with the right knowledge um, and the right motivation. So, um, you know, uh, several years before I made the team, um, I had the opportunity to be coached by uh, Chris Young, um, and he was on the team for a long time and was was on a bit of a hiatus and gave me the guidance I needed to get to that super fast level, that uh, that competitive level, um, and my my ability to ski you know, skyrocketed very, very quickly. Um, and he showed me, you know, what could be possible and, um, you know, how the team worked and what it would take to become the best and stay there. Um, and then, uh, you know, the head coach of the team right now, Kevin Jardine, and he was a coach when I first started and he gave me a lot of guidance right away and great coaching and all these things kind of pulled me along and, um, Chris Young was a teammate when I got on the team. We, he requalified and I qualified for the first time. And, you know, I still had access to that, to that guidance. And, um,
0: and that was in New Hampshire, right? That you were yeah, with yeah.
1: Chris? Yep. Um, we trained at Loon Mountain most of the time. Um, and you know, he, with his guidance, you know, it kind of all of a sudden I found myself on the team um you know my i got the qualifications done checked all the boxes and um you know i was still in high school at that point and i i felt like i kind of got pulled along for the ride for a lot of years and barely managed managed to figure out how to make it work in high school and had to juggle a lot of things in college to make that work also um but making then, the
0: academic side work in addition to yeah. following the
1: ski racing dream It was super hard to do both. Um, I figured out how to do one, and then the other, which worked better for me. And um, but it was always something I wanted to come back to because uh, there was always more to do. For a long time, anyway, there was always more to do. You know, the the ultimate goal is you know to to be the best, and um, at least leave my mark somehow. And I hadn't done that yet, so I was always like. There's always the next thing to do, the next thing to win, the next equipment to figure out, the next technique to learn, and um, you know it becomes your, it can easily become your whole life, and it did for me, and just that's that's all I did for at least ten of those fifteen years, um, and that that had a lot of pros and cons to it, by the way. Um, had a great time, ended up missing out on a lot of normal life stuff. Because that became my life, but yeah, it kind of snowballed, um, and then you know, it ultimately worked out for well well for me. But uh, it was uh, there were some tumultuous times in there too. So
0: when did you make the team? Were you was this nineteen years old? Were you still in high school, or were you or were you in college? Or
1: yeah, I was um, seventeen, I think. Um, I was in high school. Seventeen, um, junior in high school, two thousand three. Um, yeah, I made it done, um, and oh, that was that was cool because I got to got my team coat and showed up to, to school with my with my new Spider jacket with all the sponsors on it. Thought it was awesome. Um, I, you wore that um, to school. Nice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, barely took that thing off me. Um, and uh, yeah, I started then, and. Ah, gosh, I almost did it continuously. I had to take, like, two seasons, maybe half, like, half off in college to, to, to figure that out. But, um, yeah, it was continuous from there. Um, and it was just such a exciting, meaningful thing to do. You know, I could represent my country um, and you know, I could, I had this platform to try to figure out how my specific set of circumstances can be, can be the very best athletically that is possible. Um, And, you know, I wasn't going to waste it. I was there. So um, that's what I did. So you talked about your
0: goal being to be the best in the world that that was the reason you were in it, which, which to me makes perfect sense. If you're going to do it, I mean, granted, getting getting that jacket is a nice thing and it's very cool. And I would imagine it elevated your status in high school a little bit, but the objective with this to be the best in the world makes, makes all the sense if you're going to do it. But in, in looking back on that now, balancing the idea of, the sacrifices that you had to make, which sometimes define how great your success is, but also 15 years of competing, you get to the point where, where you've missed, it's, it's been a big chunk of your life. When you look back on that, do you, do you reconcile the, the sacrifices that you had to make for the success that you had? Did it make it more worthwhile? Did it
1: make it less worthwhile? I'd love to tell you that it was all worthwhile. Um, I can't. Uh, What I would describe is um, sometimes it feels like it was worth it. And there are days when it does not. Um, And yeah, I definitely missed out on like early career building, normal relationships, um, living truly on my own. Um, among a a bunch of things and, um, I, it, there were times when like the drive, the, the drive, the goal to be the best was, was consuming, uh, and not a good way and, um, would lead to, you know, bad decisions, bad results. Um, and you know, poor mental health. And but uh, you know, there were there were other things that kept me going. Sometimes a lot of it was was getting to travel to cool places. That became a goal. Um, that 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 brought me along. The my teammates and friends I met along the way, like spending time with them, became became a goal. Um, and. Figuring out new equipment, trying to um, trying to improve the sport with equipment and technique, that became a big goal. Um, and um, getting to work with different manufacturers and figure that out, um, that you know, it 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 developed into different goals. Especially towards the end, I I got the the mental side more figured out and got a healthier approach and started focusing on you know. You know those other things that made it, that made it fun and worthwhile as opposed to like trying to win all the time.
0: Did it seem easy in the beginning? Because you were, you said you made the team as a junior in high school and then your first year on the World Cup, you were runner up in GS and then won the overall title the following year, right? So so, and, yeah. and that was, that was 2006. So that was your first Paralympic. Did, did you kind of think, well, I've got, I've got this, this is all going in the right direction. Let's just keep it going. Um. Yeah.
1: Um. Initially I was surprised at, okay, I don't take this in a, in a cocky way. I was surprised at how well I was able to do initially. Um, you know, I was, I was told that, you know, my, Skiing ability was was good enough, and I didn't believe it until all of a sudden I was I was on the podium the first time, and um, I I so adaptive ski racing I think is weird is a weird beast because um, there aren't tens of thousands of people around the world doing this. There's like maybe a couple thousand, and amongst those couple thousand, there's a, a couple hundred that. Are pretty decent racers, maybe, or maybe a hundred. Um, so initially, it's it it seemed relatively easy to get, you know, um, pretty decent results. But then on the World Cup circuit, when you get to, um, you know, the top twenty or thirty in the world, then it it becomes just like any other super competitive sport. Um, And especially now, um, the, what it, what it took to do well, to even have a top 10 result was crazy. You had to have such a risky run with such perfect technique all the time. Um, but that, you know, you're at that point you're, you're competing against maybe 10 other people, but that's your world. But it still takes just as much effort as, you know, an able-bodied person who's, gone through the tens of thousands of other people to get to that you know top 10 in the world you know it's the same top one percent or whatever right yeah how could you be surprised that that you were
0: good because you were measuring yourself against Chris Young who was one of the best mono skiers in the world and and I remember when you were relatively young that you were you were talking some smack to him that, that you were going to beat him. Uh, so so you so you had to have some idea that you were pretty good or was that just smack talk?
1: Uh, I mean, probably a little bit of smack talk. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I guess I, d- I didn't have enough context yet. Um, I just heard rumors of, of what international competition was like. So all I had to go with was like, the two Chrises and you know, a handful of other people. And, um, you know, you guys are very good, but I didn't know how good you were compared to everyone else in the world yet. Um, so turns out you guys are both pretty good anyway. So, um,
0: or at least we so. were, uh, probably more so in my case than Chris's. <laughs> but, uh, so you were successful on the World Cup. Was, was the Paralympics something different than the World Cup. You had that early
1: success on the World Cup, but
0: Paralympic success was yeah. more of a challenge, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Paralympics are weird. Um, you know, it's the same. Uh, you know, once you get to the you know, top 10 or 20, it's the same people that you've been competing against in the World Cup. Um, but you know, it only happens once every four years. So it it becomes this. All-encompassing goal that everyone wants you to compete in and win. Um, so that to to make a handful of races work out in a year is fairly easy to accomplish. Um, you know, if you have a season where like twenty percent of your race work out, you're having a really good year. Um, that's just how, how attrition works in ski racing and, uh, but to have a, you know, a single race or a handful of races work out within a two week period of time, four years from now, that is a super hard nut to crack. Um, you've got to have so many, you have to juggle so many things and get every, all the stars aligned at that one point in time, um. So yeah, you've got the same competition, you know who they are, you know how they ski, you know, who you ski, but to get all that to come together at one point in time where everyone else is, everyone's kind of dialed up their aggression and their willingness to take chances because you've gotten to the highest point. There's nothing else to qualify for after that. So you're willing to take more chances. So um, That. That got really hard to do. And actually, you know, my, my first three times failed spectacularly. Um, something always seemed to go wrong, even though maybe just before it, I had beaten everyone consistently and I was the, you know, the best trained I'd ever been, you know, especially before Sochi, um, you know, I had won the world cup overall that year and I was the best trained I've ever been. And, um, you know, you get to this next race, which. On paper, it looks exactly the same as every other race you've done, um, but, you know, for some reason, because of the hype and the extra importance everyone else puts on it, um, you feel more pressure to perform or something always seemed to go wrong, right? That's what I felt like. I was just, this was my fate to just well, have good results to the Paralympics and then nothing at the Paralympics.
0: <laughs> and they didn't they didn't work out and something went wrong do you mind if we if we show a quick video about how something can go wrong
1: yeah yeah go for it
0: so maybe you can talk us through a bit of what you're thinking well actually beforehand so this is this is the downhill in sochi 2014 what are you uh, thinking before you go through the start and what do you have to do well versus what your competitors do well?
1: So this race was, I, I was in a unique opportunity here because the year before I had, we had a world cup here and I had won the downhill on this very track. Um, so I knew it was possible to win again. And, you know, I'd had the same equipment and it, I i knew what it would take to have a winning run. Um and so I knew the track, I, you know, did everything I normally do, you know, to warm up and prepare. Um, but this time around conditions were a little different the, It was a lot warmer. The snow was melting fast and it was super bumpy corduroy, like aggressively bad corduroy the entire way. Um, and if you got off the race line, it was soup. So you had to stay on the race line. Um, you had to ski, ski an aggressive line, or else you were going to crash anyways because you'd end up in the soft stuff. Um, so, did you have uh, to ski
0: this top pitch better? Because I mean, you're a little bit lighter, right? Did you have to ski this yeah. top pitch better than so, your competitors to be able to carry the speed?
1: I am one of the lighter or lightest person people on the on the on the circuit. So, yeah, uh, I have a hard time conserving momentum. And so to compensate for that, I try to take a more aggressive line, um, and cut off distance that other people might not be willing to do. Um, and I knew in order to win this race, uh, that's what I had to do. There's a, there's a line that I had scoped out and it was very risky. Um, and the chances of success were not anywhere close to hundred percent, um, but, you know, I'd come so long, I, 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 I'd come so far and put in so much effort, you know, I was given this platform to be excellent and, and win this thing that I, it was like, you know, this is pretty unsafe and I'm not super comfortable, but I, I'm here and I might as well do it um, because, you know, this opportunity is pretty rare. So that's what that's awesome. I decided to do.
0: But that's also kind of the definition of downhill, right? Is that this is sort of unsafe and my commitment to, to, the, to, to my line, to, to my program is, is in some ways what's going to keep me safe potentially and going to make me fast. Like you, right. can't, be, you can't be waffling or then you're in big trouble, in, right?
1: In a, in a lot of situations, taking the more aggressive line and you know, do, doing a clean turn, not bleeding speed, that is safer. To the point at which you crash. If you crash, crashing in downhill is generally catastrophic. Um, you're probably at least going to be out for a couple of days, if not in the hospital. So, um, just because of the energies involved. Um, so, yeah, it it is. It can be safer to go faster, but backfires horribly if it goes wrong. Um, All
0: right. Do you mind if I hit start here and you and you kind of tell us what you're what you're planning to do here? You probably probably
1: uh, you. sure. Well, I'll try. Um, okay. Yeah. So go for it. Okay. In
0: the world. Yeah. So the stops
1: the cart the the start's pretty flat, and just trying to be as clean as possible, um, and then get set up for the first pitch, which is really steep, and you 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 go from like. 40 to 70 right here. Um, and it's super bumpy, um, which, uh, bouncing all over the place. And then you have to set up for this huge um, cranker turn. Um, and then you're on a big section of super G turns down the, down the this low pitch. Oh,
0: dearie me. Tyler Walker, what a horrific crash. That is a crash. Um, I mean, that is. Yeah. And, and, give people some context, I was doing the commentary for this and, and there were a lot of people who were, who were racing, but were a bit in between racing and slipping the course where they were doing a wide line and, 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 and sloughing a lot of speed. You were the first person that I saw who went out and went, went after that course and went and took the line took the line that that if you looked at it if you look at the course and go yes that's the fastest line you were the one who took that line and and but you had to right i mean this is this is where you needed that speed coming off of that pitch to take you across those those flats that followed
1: yeah um definitely i need i i need to get as fast as I can get going early and keep that speed. And, you know, it, it takes taking that, that aggressive line. Um, And so I'm trying to be as clean as possible, not scrub anything. Um, But that also means that, you know, that section that I crashed at, there were a couple of big rollers in there, um, one or two of which you catch air off of, if you're going that fast. And that particular one that I crashed on, um, I had a fully loaded ski, so I was I was fully committed in a carve, and which and which bends the ski up into this giant spring, um, holding a ton of energy, and that also compresses my suspension at the same time, and that was probably fully compressed at that time, and then I hit that roller, and I was still in a pretty forward, my body was, my body weight was a little bit forward of center also. So I catch air and I start going forward and that ski releases all that energy and the suspension unloads. Well, the suspension was fully loaded, so it couldn't absorb that bump. Um, so all the energy had to go somewhere It went up and forward. And um, you know, I ended up catching the tip of the ski on the snow where you're supposed to land and just blew up after that
0: it's the biggest nightmare for every mono skier i mean it's sort of the stuff that wakes you up in the middle of the night of coming into and having that ski and the and the shock completely compressed and then hitting the jump and knowing that effectively the way it's going to work is that you're going to go up over the handlebars which is which is what you did and you had a concussion right did you break anything
1: yeah a little um so uh i got knocked out immediately um my face was like one of the first things to hit and that knocked me out um and so i don't remember most of that run i remember going around like the second or third turn maybe and then uh i'm being dragged to a helicopter that's that's kind of how my memory went for that
0: well, just just what were because because I remember seeing you soon thereafter, and you said you'd you felt like you'd been hit by a truck, like you'd been in a car accident. Uh, what and, and and so there was the physical recovery, uh, but did did you break any bones or or yeah. not? Yeah. Okay. You were pretty, so you were super beaten up.
1: Yeah, um, I I according to the uh, the the multiple scans that I got. Um, I think I cracked some vertebrae, like the bottom one or two, um, and damaged some nerves. That took a while to heal. Um, And I'm pretty sure I broke a rib, at least, or severely bruised it. It was pretty hard to breathe for a while. Which is one of those.
0: They don't really, there's nothing they can do for it anyway, right? If you've broken it or bruised it, they're like, well, it's going to hurt for a while. And eventually it
1: won't. Yeah. And then the, the, yeah, you know, the spine was similar, um, and, you know, had some weird, horrible nerve pain for a while. Um, and then, yeah, I got a really bad concussion, a bunch of scratches on my face. Um, the, you know, it was kind of, I want to say run of the mill concussion if there even is one, um, you know, the room was spinning for a while headaches, um, hard to think clearly, you know, the, the usual um and that so the physical symptoms they cleared up in a couple months um with yeah not too many drawbacks um the so physically i recovered maybe in six months or so um the the toll that that took was mental mostly um and I don't remember the crash which is a fantastic feature of getting knocked out i love that um, Other than I just
0: but, yeah
1: yeah um it's probably good that i went limp immediately um but i think somewhere deep in my brain i remember it because um when i ski now like if i get if i approach 60 miles an hour even like low 50s i get this like panic feeling that creeps up in my whole body. And it just like, I'm physically incapable at that point of pushing my, allowing myself to go any faster. Um, and I will immediately shut it down. Um, and you know, for a while i you know, either like extremely lucid dreamy recreations of the event or similar events. Um, just when I'm, kind of zoned up and that would freak me out a little bit um and you know sometimes the room would start spinning randomly for a while but it was really like i was never able to allow myself to go that fast again i've I've tried i wanted to get back um but my brain has just been like nope this is a hard limit now you're you're not going to be doing this again um so that actually ended up being okay. Ultimately, I found a workaround and decided to not focus on downhill anymore. Um, that was, a, it was a hard decision to make, it took a while, but it was like, you know, my brain's not gonna let me do this. Um, and I really don't wanna crash again anyway. So I'm just gonna focus on other events. So I focused on the tech events more, Solomon, Giant Solomon. and Giant Solemn. And, did super G when I had to and by focusing on GS and Psalm, I could spend more energy on it and go to a deeper level and get, just figure out more things and save, you know, all my stress for that uh, downhill. caused me so much stress. I would lose sleep, you know, days before it um, I never really felt like I wanted to do downhill. I felt like I had to, because I'd proven that I'd been good at it in the past. And that's what you do. You know, you, a lot of effort is spent by you and on your behalf to get you to races. So you feel like you want to do these things. Um, but I never really felt like I wanted to do most downhills. And then when I could cut it out, the stress level went way down immediately. And it was awesome. Um, and I can just focus on a couple of things.
0: You seemed like a risk taker from the early. I remember I was coaching a camp with you when you were like 10 or something like that. And you probably don't remember this. I remember it. You, you got mad at me because we were, we were working on technique and we were doing some drills and you wanted to go jump. And, and so that seemed like a part of who you were from the beginning you won at the x games three times when going off of the i mean they call those jumps like tombstone jumps right i mean it it looks okay, like yeah. a tombstone yeah. when you go go yeah. off of that final jump um, so so was that leaving behind a part of I mean, you said you'd never really liked downhill but you, you liked you, you liked sort of the the competition part of it or the, or the, the toughness part of it, being, being tough, was that hard to, to let go? Because as you're saying that the emotional recovery was much more challenging than the physical.
1: I, I felt like it was, well, when I made the decision, it was at the time, like when I decided to make that decision, it was an easy decision for me to make. And I, um, I still had to you know, justify it and come up with a plan of like, you know, in place of this, I'm gonna do that. Um, yeah, I still, I still like taking risks. Um, but I do, I, I, I take them in, in different circumstances. So, um, I like taking risks where if you mess up, there's a reasonable chance of survival or, uh, you know, recovery. <laughs> um, and, you know, downhill is risky and it's super fun when everything works out but if it doesn't, it, uh, you know, the chances of it going bad are, are good. Um, so, you know, I take chances in slalom and giant slalom. I love that. But if I mess up, it's not super, a super big deal or, you know, go off jumps where, you know, if I try to find ones where if I come up short, there's a reasonable chance I can ski out of it or ski steep and deep lines where, you know, I may not charge it and, you know, Sixty miles an hour, but maybe forty. And, um, you know, fast enough to make it interesting, but still be able to recover. So um, that works for me. That that gets the adrenaline going, the you know, the feel good chemicals in my brain, and and I'm I'm comfortable with that now um, within those those parameters. This, our program
0: that this podcast came off of is our name tags program. And the motto is it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you. And so Sochi 2014, you had this horrific crash and, and, and thank you for letting us show people this crash. Cause it's, it's hard to, it's hard to describe what happened and then describe where you ended up four years later, but how, how mentally did you get to the point where you wanted to ski again, where you wanted to go fast, maybe not downhill fast, but where you wanted to take risks and you wanted to, you wanted to try to be the best in the world. How, how did the mental, were there, what were the steps who helped you? How did that work?
1: Yeah. um, It was, it was quite the mental journey. Um, So you know when that happened in the recovery process like i felt like i lost a lot because you know i was i was the best trained i'd ever been i was in the best shape of my life up until that point um and you know i had really figured out my equipment for that particular spot and all that was gone in you know in an instant and um you know, I was in bed long enough where I had to rebuild all the muscles too. So um, it, uh, this may seem weird. Actually, you, you, you hear about other athletes, you know, having to go through recovery processes after after um, a big setback like that. You know, what I did was nothing unique. Um, but, you know, it seems very arduous and there's a process and it became like a, Another problem to solve. So I wanted to be like, I have a chance to make a comeback, and I want to figure out how to do it. Um, and this is just this is one element, like the problem-solving bit. This was fun. Um, you know, how am I going to go from totally destroyed to back to being number one again? And um, then it was also, you know, pointed out to me by by one of my coaches, that like you're not done yet. You still have more to offer. You are capable of, of great things in the sport and you're almost there, but you're not there yet and you can still do it. Um, so that became another problem to solve. Like, how do I make this work in four years from now? How do I get to the point where I'm dominant in the sport again? Um, so I wanted to solve that problem.
0: Just for context, you'd, you'd been dominant in the sport. You would won, overall, you'd won Globes, you know, you'd won overall World Cups, World Cup titles for the year, you'd won, you'd won discipline titles, you'd won races, but you'd been shut out as far as medals were concerned in the Paralympics.
1: Yeah. Was that Um, a
0: driving force for you? That was
1: different. The feeling of being shut out from success at Paralympics, um, it was a driving force at one time. Along the way, it took a big toll on my mental health. Um, I went to some pretty dark places. Um, I just could not understand, you know, why, why is this happening? Like I, I can, I can have all the success outside of Paralympics, but not in Paralympics. Now, this is a weird thing for me to talk about because it's like, well, most people don't even make, you know, college competition or whatever but you know I was I was given this platform I had the opportunity I you know I was I was put in this in the in the in the, the starting blocks you know so I really wanted to figure this out um, and the desire to win just like destroyed me mentally um, so I my last couple of years on the team I um, started working with a sports psychologist and um, You know, went into you know personal issues and sport-related issues. Did the whole thing, and you know, figured out a way uh, a way for me to focus my mental and physical energies during that two minutes of intense competition. That was really the goal: was like walk me off the ledge and get me to get me the tools to focus mentally on that on that on that two minute period of time. and and we did that and it became and we steered away from needing to win all the time to going towards like what is the next goal what is the thing in this particular race what's the next task i need to accomplish so i'm in the starting gate you know the first immediate task is to push through the wand quickly and get a few stabs with the outrigger you know That is the immediate task. What's the next one? Well, set up for the first gate. The next task, for the second gate. You know, it just became like a series of what is the next immediate task you need to accomplish? And if you accomplish enough tasks, you get to the bottom and you do those successfully, you can generally do well. Um, So we changed that whole approach um, to just focusing on the present. What is the next thing I need to do? Um, And that that, totally worked and it was awesome. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, um, I worked a lot of my technique. I worked a ton on equipment, um, worked a lot with a company called Dynaxus, and we worked on different frame geometries and, um, uh, shock absorbers and tweaking everything you can imagine to get a piece of equipment to work for my unique body and um you know they are brilliant and they came up with solutions after lots of testing and um, it allowed me to you know express my full capabilities on the on the hill
0: so you put a lot of force into into the ski like you with with what you're able to do with angulation you're able to and and it's been, it's been measured, right? So, Yoakam has, has measured like how many G's you are pulling in a turn, right?
1: How many how many G's do you know what that is? I, I don't have my numbers in front of me, but uh, I'm, I'm sure we could ask him if it's possible. I, I, don't, I don't know if they don't go online. Exactly. There's um, more online. than a fair bit more than one obviously.
0: I feel like it was like three or something like that, that he said that it was just so impressive. You're you're pulling three times your body weight in, you know, putting, putting that force into the, into the turn and, and was consistent. So, so this is a reason why you have to work on your equipment because your ability is demanding the most from the equipment too. So, so the mental and the physical or the mental and the equipment side as well.
1: And the, and the equipment side for us is so important because, you know, you have to make it work for your particular body. And, you know, depending on your injury level, everyone's super unique. Um, and then for every race, you know, you can only set it up one way and then you have to go and hopefully you've set it up in such a way where it, you know, it gives you, you know, I can go so far with it this way or so far with it this way, but hopefully that, that, that distance and energy I can put into this run allows me to you know have a, a ski to my full potential like you can set up your monoski to drop 30 foot cliff or you can set it up to turn really well but you can't set it up to do both of those things you can set it up to somewhere in the middle hopefully where that middle is for you works for that particular course Um, So that takes a ton of testing and figuring out and tweaking it. Um, But yeah, we spent a lot of time doing that and figured it out.
0: So when did you feel ready and when did you decide that you were, that Pyeongchang was was on the horizon for you?
1: Um, My, kind of the end of my, second to last season. So end of the 27, 2017 season. Um, I, for a bunch of factors, I just decided that the next season was going to be my last, you know, I was going to be at the end of Pyeongchang. I was going to be 32. Um, I, you know, I have a college degree, but I, but I, I want more. Um, there's other things I want to do in my life and I've done almost every permutation of ski racing you can do at this point. Um, I've accomplished a lot of my goals, not all of them, but you know I feel like I've made my mark and you know I've furthered the sport. Um, but I can't do this indefinitely. Like the 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 kinds of runs I need to have to be successful are very risky, and my body's not going to hold up to that forever. Um, and I just want to do every something else. So I was going to give that last season you know a different approach and a lot of effort and if it worked out great if it didn't I'm still going to move on cuz just I have to for life and you know mental well-being and all kinds of things um so that that was just something I kind of told myself and that was what I was going to do and luckily everything worked out really well um so
0: how how was the World Cup season working out before that? Did you feel like you were on top of your game?
1: Um, yeah, I felt especially in Small and Giant Psalm that I had figured out some like a set of a set of technique and equipment that was working really well for me and highly competitive. Um, and you know, I got back to that. Um, that feeling you get, you know, when you're in the zone where you're just, you know, feel super highly coordinated and you're super focused and, you know, you do a race like that and you cross the finish line, and you're like, I've won, I know. And you look up the scoreboard and it's like, yeah, I won. Like, you know, I was starting to feel that again. Um, and you know, you get to the bottom, it's like, there's no way anyone beat that, and you know, for sure they didn't. So I got that feeling back and it's, it's a rare feeling, but when you've got everything figured out for a brief period of time, you, you, you do get that. Um, so I was feeling, I was feeling pretty good and I had got the mental stuff under control. Um, and, uh you know, I just, I went into it at a, at a better place. Did you feel, was there
0: anything different when you approached the Paralympics? Like you, you know, you'd had success on the world cup, but then there's suddenly there's more pageantry, right? I mean, you can go to a World Cup and it's like going to a junior race where there isn't much in the way of fans or any of that stuff. But then you go to the to the Paralympics and you've got opening ceremonies. You have everybody parading in. You have you have people buying tickets, watching the whole thing. Did it feel different when you when you got to the Paralympics, or did you just feel ready to go?
1: Mm, I. Uh... I've always approached Paralympics with the understanding that it is different. It's, it's a different thing. It's, it's culturally important. It's, it's, it's cu- culturally significant to the world, which makes it really fascinating to me. So I'm not going to miss out on that more than necessary. So, you know, I, I want to see the opening ceremonies, you know, and I, you know, I want to put on the uniform and play my role. I, I, I love that. Um, even though I might have to race the next day. So, um, you know, and and, and I'm going to use that, that stage to, um, you know, push my brand if I can, if it's appropriate or, um, you know, get the word out about the sport, whatever makes sense. But, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to treat it completely like another race, except on race day, um, I did. Treat it like another race, and I had developed a new warm-up routine um, involved a lot of different mental exercises that I'd been doing um, to get me to just focus on the process. And you know, it it became a little bit more difficult to filter out a lot of the noise, um, but I was able to do it most of the time. Um, and so I just, you know, during that one period of time, that race day, like I, I stuck to that routine. And, um, but otherwise, you no, know, I enjoyed the experience. I ate all the yummy, amazing Korean food that I could find and visited all the cool little kiosks all over the village and met new people and, um, you know, all the, all the things you'd love to do. It wasn't like a hermit the entire time.
0: So you didn't race the downhill though in Pyeongchang. Correct. Yeah. No so downhill, I, but you did race the super G.
1: I did, um, wasn't really feeling it though. Um, I hadn't, you know, everyone else had done the downhill and they were used to the hill and, the, and that speed, but really I was um, I was doing that for the uh, super combined where we would have a run of slalom and maybe I'd have a better, of a, more of a chance, but I still really didn't want to go that fast. And my focus was entirely tech anyways. So I just kind of, I did it, you know, with some effort, but it wasn't my primary focus.
0: And then, and then the the giant slalom was next, right?
1: Yeah. Um, And that, that was what I really wanted that I put probably the most effort into that. And historically I'd been the best at giant slalom in my career. Um, And You know, the first run went just fine. Um, You know, I I, I won the run by quite a bit and had a a pretty awesome time Um, and all my mental exercises worked really well. Um, But then I had just won the run, which was another huge problem because now the spotlight's on you and you go last for the second run. Um, So... Uh, you know, everyone's pushing the envelope a little bit more than they they would normally. And you know, you're the leader, the press wants a piece of you. So you've got to try to filter that out. And the mental exercises got really hard. And um, I had to restart my process so many times to try to filter out and just focus on like, what is the course like, like I inspected it, but I can't remember it because there's so much other noise going on. So um, it took a couple tries, but I, I was able to Mostly get back in the zone, Um, and you know I did my second run, um, and ah, I made a miscalculation. Um, You know I I, I completed the run, but I I held back a teeny bit because I had a pretty good cushion, Um, and you know it's still still a risky endeavor. It's still a risky run. And the chances of falling are pretty good, um, and the course is really bumpy because I'm running last. So um, held back maybe a teeny bit, and I got to the bottom. And I'm like, I had an okay run. I think it was good, and I got second place. Um, you know, the second guy, the first run won the run, and then the race. Um, that was weird. Um, he went faster, By just a little bit
0: too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he went
1: faster. At the end of the day, he went faster. Um, and that's just how it went. Um, so, like, even when you're winning, you may not completely win. Um, so, I was I was very still, was disappointed. Too, really. Yes, yes. That was my first time. I'd never been in that position where, like, it was possible to win or even get a Paralympic medal, getting even getting close. So I was freaking out then. But, you know, for, like, Two seconds, I was really, really pissed at myself um, and just raging mad. And then I realized that I actually got a Paralympic medal, so I calmed down and had a great time. But those emotions are still there. Um, And then later on, I was like, "Whoa, I actually did this. This is amazing." Um, And you know, I was fine with it. So uh, at the end of the day, it's 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 all good. So you won your first Paralympic medal in the giant
0: slalom after and in your fourth games. So a yeah. lot of, a lot of shots at it. This was your first Paralympic medal. And then what happened in the next
1: race? Oh, uh, the slalom. Um, yeah. So the slalom, like at that point, like I, I, I got my medal. I did what I came there to do. Like, ah, uh, I was way more relaxed for the slalom. Um, it was easier mentally to get through it. Um, and, but slalom in, in the Sitski division is is a crazy. Anyways, there's so much attrition. Like if half the field crashes, that's pretty normal. Um, and you know the course was super bumpy. It was getting really really warm. And you know I wouldn't consider either of my runs very good. Um, It's just kind of like, who's the last man standing at the end of the day sometimes. And, uh, you know, I guess they were decent and I ended up second again. I was pretty, um, pretty surprised. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Um, Just it was, it was, it was icing on the cake. And um, that was, that was a great day too. It was just way more relaxed and chill and then, you know, a bonus. So. Um, now, and then-
0: one, I'm going to give a little bit of context. You're saying that you were running last. You were you were last among the mono skiers who were last among all the other classes in the race. So the visually impaired skiers went, the standing skiers, then the mono skiers. So you were the very last guy. I mean, potentially the very last guy. There might've been, if, if it was a flip 30, right? So it's a flip 30. But, but the thing was that you, you were, you were running behind everybody. When you talk about it being bumpy, you were like, probably in the first run, you might've been triple digits, right? You're running 110, yeah. 120, 130, that kind of thing.
1: Um, yep, yeah. it's, it's bumpy. It's trench warfare. Um, you, uh, you have to expect to hit bumps really hard and be okay with that because a lot of times you can't avoid it. Um, you know, and in a lot of runs, you know, I can, I can look ahead and, you know, maybe find a six inch patch of solid snow right next to the gate and aim my ski right for that and miss some of the bumps. And, you know, I can work my way down the course that way, but sometimes there's just nothing you can do. Like you're going to go and you're going to hit some huge ruts. Um, so you hit them and you bounce into the air and you try to control the flight in the air and set your ski down back on the next edge. And, and that's your run um, and that is just, uh, you know, it's the, the, the surface of the course, like the course workers do the best they can, but it's, it is inherently a, an unfair part of, the, of, of ski racing. There's nothing you can really do about it. Um, so you learn to work with it, but yeah, you are literally the last racer up there. Like the coaches are gathering around and the course workers are gathering around the start, like, because they want to break the course down and get home, and you still got to go. So um, that's a little weird. And like the sun's going down. So also, yeah, you can't see the bumps coming because the light's not out anymore. Um, and yeah, it's just it's it's road. It hurts. It's painful. It's nerve-wracking because you can't see what's coming. You just kind of kind of expect a horrible bump every every turn. Um, and hopefully, you're upright at the end of it. So,
0: that was dicey for you a couple of times on that, on that second run where yep. it looked like you were out of the course, then you were back in the course, and you had a really fast bottom split to to put yourself yep. back in the medals.
1: You hit those bumps, you get tossed in the air, and you've got to recover and get back your line, or, you know, the, at the gate, you know, get polished like all the loose snow will go off and it'll be down to like boilerplate ice so you know hopefully you have sharp edges at that point or if you do slip maybe you can recover quickly and get back online but that's just things you have to factor into your whole approach
0: now the end of that race was was what I would consider uncharacteristically emotional for you uh it 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 seemed like uh you know that that i i had not seen that side of tyler very often and 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 what was what was that all about did you was it fighting to get back into the getting back into the race you know to get back into the into the games after sochi or the whole thing or what was what was
1: going through your mind there i mean it was a it was on on one level it was a culmination of a lifetime of work um to do that and all the setbacks and the journey that took um you know uh, just all the all the people you meet and the experiences you have and um the ups and downs the injuries the the mistakes the the solutions you find like each one of those things is very emotionally charged at some point or another, and it all it all came just crashing down at, at one point. Like it it it's like you realize the gravity of all of that all at once, and it's uh, heavy. Um, so yeah, and then of course the cameras are on you, and they catch it all. So uh, that's because they love it. Yeah, they can't get enough of it. Um, so, yeah, that emotion's still there. But you know, sometimes we just keep it you know, crammed down inside. So
0: <laughs> a little bit more bottled up. But, it, but in some ways, it's, it sounds like what you're saying is that, that after 15 years of competing, and this is 15 years of competing on the highest level, but then there was also everything that it took to get to that point where you got your jacket for, for your junior year of high school and and it's almost like I mean it sounds like a really cool moment because as you're talking about it I'm I'm saying you got to relive your career kind of in a moment after the after the finish is is that really what it felt like being able to
1: to and be open yeah. to that emotion Yeah no that's that's that that's exactly what happened Yeah you relive all those experiences at once. Um, and that's that's a that's a great deal of energy right there. Um, really hard to do an interview with that going on. Um, yeah, it's intense.
0: But that's what we want to see as well, because it's the most it's the most human part to watch you to watch you compete. We see you doing what you do best. So you are, you are armored up for for that performance but when the armor drops is is in a lot of ways when we get to see ourselves and we sitting there on the couch get to see get to see the vulnerable tyler who had to fight his way through the hardest course to in his last race and his second to last race to to win medals in both races you talked about having to having to quit and i'll get you out on this one and deciding that you wanted to retire because, in a lot of ways, you wanted to do other things in your life. What what is next, and and is that obvious, and is it is it relatively easy to figure out the next
1: direction? Yeah, man, figuring out what next has been has been tough. Um, there was nothing lined up for me on the other side. Um, I had a lot of ideas of what I might want to do. Um, And, you know, naively thought that maybe I could just, you know, start applying for top level positions and just boom, right in. Um, Life is great again. Uh, That did not happen at all. Um, And, you know, I got out of it and I thought, and I started looking at what it would take to move on and do something else that I might be interested in. It was like, everything I looked at was like, wow, I need a couple of years for that one. need a couple of years for that one. Uh, that one's definitely not going to happen. Um, and it just got demoralizing. Um, and, you know, so much of my identity had been wrapped up in ski racing. I didn't realize it at the time, but I realized it afterwards. Um, and, uh, that got unhealthy too, mentally. Um, and, you know, I got, I got a lot of help from the USOC to try to deal with that. Um, but, you know, a lot of that was, is on me at the end of the day. And I'm still trying to figure that out, um, but I'm closer now, you know, it's been three, three years now. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, I've learned a lot since then, um, I realized how much I missed out on um, life experience wise, education wise. Um, and I'm gonna go back for more education. I'm signed up to do an MBA starting uh, in the in the fall. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. And hopefully that will lead to more opportunities or at least the qualification to do a lot more. But yeah, I've had to, you know, find my find my old identity again and figure out what's left and make kind of a new one. And um, and it's it's been a lot of stop and go. Uh, been uh, on the adaptive side of things. You know, I'm still skiing, but I'm doing it differently now. I'm working on a lot of um, uh, trying to figure out how to access the backcountry efficiently and developing equipment and technique to do that. Um, that's kind of like a, a fun side project, um, trying to figure out social media and how all those algorithms work. And, um, you know, just before you were talking to me, I was studying financial accounting. So I'm not in the deep end when I get there. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of just fun side projects and self education and maybe formal, formal education pretty soon.
0: And looking at that, you're not, it's not unique to you. I mean, it feels unique in a lot of ways because we as athletes, or we as individuals, when it happens to us, feel like it, it is—it's it, it, the most significant and difficult thing. But but a lot of athletes have that same situation where where the hardest thing to do is to is to retire and and reinvent yourself. And one of the interesting things that you said there was that trying to reconnect with your old self and and that just to me begged the question of well what is your old self what does your old self look like and what do you want to bring forward
1: you know my old self was very intellectually curious about the world beyond ski racing um different cultures languages geographies people you know that's why i love the traveling so much and meeting new people um and, you know, so, so, so that's a big part of, of my old self. Um, and, you know, I don't want to disregard all the ski racing that I did and, and what that developed. Um, you know, I have the ability to analyze things pretty well and quickly, I think. Um, and how to you know, accomplish a complicated multi-year goal um, among other things like I don't have my resume in front of me whatever crazy wording I use for all these other things but uh, I find that I can to a point kind of pick and choose um, you know some of the old stuff and some of the stuff I want to I want to bring forward so um, still trying to be adventurous and push the sport in a different direction because i love that part of it um yeah um and i don't, I don't know what career that's going to bring me into um, but i think i could excel in in in, in a lot of things if, if given the opportunity so i'm gonna go make that opportunity and uh, hopefully it'll lead to something
0: that's great. Yeah, I can look back to when you meeting you when you were a young kid and certainly seeing that curiosity, that curiosity in a variety of things. But the thing that sticks with me is that you weren't going to be denied that that no matter what was in front of you, you were going to figure out a way to make it work. And you talk about this in terms of, of problem solving, but but you know, a fearless sense of, of, uh, of, I won't be denied. So uh, that, that seemed like that's who, who you were back then. And I'm sure that's who you, who you are now as well. And it's just a matter of, in some ways, letting yourself be yourself because the transition is hard and you've learned a lot of amazing things and done things that nobody, nobody would have, you know, most people never get a chance to do it, but there's no horizontal step from being the best in the world at your sport to whatever you're going to do next. But what got you to that place, I think, is something that will it will get you to a place that's really f- fulfilling moving forward. So, Tyler, thank you for sharing your story with us, and yeah, yeah, letting it's us show your, your one of your most difficult times as well. So I appreciate that too.
1: No, this was fun. So it's been a pleasure.
0: Well, good. Well, best of luck to you, Tyler. Thank you to all of you for listening in tonight. If you didn't catch the whole thing, it will be on the One Revolution page uh, right afterwards. So you can go and watch the whole interview in its entirety. It will also watch for the Name Tags Chat podcast wherever you get your podcast. So it's on Spotify, it's on Apple, it's on Google. It's on Pandora. You can find it on all of these podcasts. Watch for the other podcasts as well uh, from other previous guests and and actually future guests too. We'll get some, get some future guests and we'll continue to put these up there. But Tyler, thanks a ton. Best of luck. I hope to see you on the Hill. Hope to see you elsewhere. Hope to see you. So thanks a lot.
1: Awesome. Thanks. Bye.